0: Christmas traditions. I love Christmas traditions. My family has a few of them. And I wonder if anybody wants to share a Christmas tradition that they have in their family. Okay, so I force my family to watch the Muppets Christmas Carol every Christmas Eve. (laughs) I tried to get my family to do that a couple of days ago, but we had one member who's like puppets. I don't do puppets. Like, oh, you're missing out. No, it wasn't wasn't actually Matt this time, even though he probably would have fallen asleep instead of watching it. Anybody else want to share their Christmas tradition with us? SJ? We each get given a Christmas box with a new pair of PJs and we sit and watch a Christmas movie together. What was the movie of choice this time around? Or has it not happened yet? Christmas Chronicle. Chronicle, the new Netflix one. Nice. Who else wants to share their Christmas tradition? Kristen? Every Christmas Eve um, on TV, they play the movie Elf, but this time we had Netflix, so we watched it on there. But, yeah, we watch Elf every Christmas Eve. Nice. Jim. Yeah, our Christmas tradition, particularly when the kids were home, was because it was a high-stress thing, we used to fight a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if, if, if that's the only thing, if, if it only happens once a year, I guess that you're doing pretty well. <laughs> Anybody else want to share a Christmas tradition? Pete. We do a good Jewish thing of having a hot ham, which is nice and glazed, and uh, I like making that a special Christmas meal. Anybody else want to share a Christmas tradition? We have lots of traditions. So one that I'll choose is on Christmas night. we would. Op- um, it started in my family of origin, Broken Hill. It's like 30 to 40 degrees, so it started off with a water fight Christmas night. Um, and our home was an open home for all who didn't have family or family was strained or whatever else. So that was our family tradition. As as we've moved around, it's changed to Nerf Wars because water saving and whatnot. So um, yeah, it's more about grabbing around people who don't have family around or for whatever other reason. So it's more of an open home. Now I'm going to allow 10 of you to enjoy one of my Christmas traditions, which is my mum's Christmas tradition, not actually mine, but I get forced to do it every year. So, I've got 10 crackers here who would like to come and grab a cracker, but if you grab a cracker, you have to wear the hat for the entire rest of the time here because that is the deal that my mum makes. You have a cracker. And this year, my brother was on bonbon duties or whatever you call it, and so he with his new girlfriend, I don't know, like, he impressed us or he made them. And they were, like, individually, like, focused and the gifts inside were, like, my dad got senior tees, like, golf tees to help him with his hit. And, like, yeah, I got hand cream and all this kind of stuff, but the jokes were still just as lame as they always are, which we're glad about. Okay, come and grab, come, Catherine, do you want to hand them out to whoever's got the hand up so you can crack them, you've got to wear... You can have one. You've got to, you've got to wear the hat because that's the most important part of the Christmas tradition that my mum always makes us do. And you can keep the, you can keep the toy inside because I'm sure that's going to be top like, notch because I've got the cheapest ones I could find. So <laughs> that tells you how top notch the, the gifts are going to be inside. Another Christmas tradition that I have every year... Is that I read the Christmas story, um, and I read it in Matthew and I read it in Luke, um, and I find that just a really great way in the the week, the couple of weeks leading up to um, today, to actually remind myself of the Christmas story. And what surprises me is even though I've done it, you know, for multiple years, I still get something new out of it every time I read it. And I think that's the, the thing I love about the Word of God is it actually is the living and active Word of God. And so every time we read it, it actually can become new again. But this year I did something different. Normally when I'm reading in Matthew, I start on verse 18 that says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, and then keep on reading from there. But this time, I don't know why, but I decided to read from the very, very beginning of Matthew. And if you look at the very beginning of Matthew you find this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Now normally, whenever I'm even reading the, New Te- the Old Testament, when I get to like a genealogy, do you know what I do? I go, oh, yep, that's good. They, people were born and people had kids and then I skip over to like the more important part. But this time this year, I actually read the, the genealogy and I thought oh, I wonder what you can get out of a genealogy. And at the bottom of the genealogy that finishes in verse 17 of Matthew 1, it says, all those listed above, including 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. And I thought, boy, how cool is God when it works that way? There's like 14 generations between all these major events that lead to the birth of the Messiah. But there's actually something that I noticed that I wanted to share with you, and you guys may have noticed this before, but I really hadn't. I started to look at everything in brackets because sometimes the things that are in brackets are the things that people want to actually make a point of but doesn't fit the overall you know, flow of what they're talking about. So, let's have a look at what is said in the brackets, okay? So, I'm not going to read all the names of people because I'll be getting half of them wrong. Maddy's smiling because he knows that my pronunciation would not work very well. But let's do this. So, the first bracket we get to, it's got to do with Judah. And Judah was the father of Perez and... uh, Yep, thank you. You Yeah, see, I can't even do that. Whose mother was Tamar. It's normally in Jewish culture. Mentioning the mother is not something that you actually care about back here anyway. These days, the Jewish mother is actually how you become, if you're a Jew, you're a Jew through the line of your mother. Because it's easier to know who your mum is than to know who your dad is. But back here, normally, it's the fathers that are the most important people. So, whose mother was Tamar. The next bracket we get to is Salom who was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And then Boaz, who was the father of Obadiah, whose mother was Ruth. And then the next bracket we get to, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And then in verse 11 we get, born at the time of the exile of Babylon. They're the only brackets that we get in this genealogy. Now, I want to just touch on the last bracket first because I want to actually just put that to one side. But it is interesting to know. Born at the time of the exile to Babylon. When the Jewish people went into exile is a really, really important time in the Jewish history because that is when God said, you guys have stuffed up so much. I'm actually going to come and allow another power to come and overrule you. And they're going to come and they're going to take you. But not like the northern kingdom who all got destroyed. I'm going to actually let you remain, but remain under the Babylonians. Um, and so a whole lot of people got talking, taken into exile, but the Jewish people actually remained because of the promises that God had given time and time again to say that, you know, from Abraham to David and all that kind of stuff, all of those promises remained even though they went into exile. And so it's really important to know that. But let's put that to one side and focus on the other three mothers that are talked about. The only mothers that are talked about. And in case you were wondering, each of these people must have a mother. So it's not like these are the only ones that had a mum. But for for whatever reason, Matthew wanted to tell us about these four. So let's have a look at them. The first one is Tamar. And in Genesis 38, we actually read the story of Tamar. Now, it's not a very pretty story because what happened was Tamar was married to one of Judah's sons who ended up dying. And so Judah said, hey, don't go off and marry someone else. Wait till my youngest son gets old enough and then you can marry him and stay in the family, which is a very cultural thing to do. But then Judah didn't keep his word. So, the son married someone else. So, Tamar is childless and not in a great state. So, she actually tricks Judah into sleeping with her and then has two sons. And Judah doesn't know, Judah thinks he's sleeping with someone else and then finds out that it's actually he's sleeping with his daughter in law. And when he finds out, because he's about to kill Tamar for like sleeping with someone and getting pregnant, and, um, and when he finds out that it's him, he goes, oh, okay, I've actually done wrong by you. And he says, he allows Tamar and the kids to live. Really interesting, in Jesus' genealogy, we hear about someone who sleeps with her father-in-law and has two kids by him. The next person that we hear about is Ruth. So, Boaz was the father of Abro whose mother was Ruth. Now, if you want to know about the Ruth, you can actually read the whole book of Ruth. It's named after her. But for those who don't know, the interesting thing about Ruth is that she is not Jewish. So what happens in the story of Ruth, for those who don't know, is the really quick synopsis is... ...Ruth has a mother-in-law called Naomi who is Jewish. There's a famine in Jerusalem. So she's left and we've taken her family and her sons grow up. They marry. One of them marries Ruth um, and then the sons die and the father dies and so naomi says i'm going back home and ruth says well i'm going where you go so if you're going back home i'm going there because that must be my home so ruth leaves her culture and her family and follows naomi and ends up back with the jewish people in the jewish culture to not be jewish not something that you celebrated. If you married someone who wasn't Jewish, boy, were you not someone who was celebrated. So the fact that in Jesus' genealogy, they point out the fact that this foreigner was one of the mums, really interesting. So the first person, Tamar, has tricked her father-in-law to sleep with her and have these two kids, and that's mentioned. The second mother that mentioned is a Gentile who is not of, you know, pure Jewish blood. The third person is mentioned is Rahab. And you find the story of Rahab in Joshua 2. But Rahab was in Jericho. And the lifestyle that she led was not the best lifestyle. Lots of men came and... I'm realising there's kids around. Lots of men came and went from her house late at night. And it wasn't the best. But what happened was, if you remember... Some spies, Joshua included, was actually sent into Jericho to find out what was going to happen. And Rahab said, hey, let me um, hide you from the people that are looking for you. And so he she hid them, lied to the people that were looking for them, put them in a basket and let them go over the wall and escape. And then the Jewish people came and attacked. But Rahab's family was saved because of their helping save the spies that went in in the first place. So then Rahab became part of the Jewish community um, and married Salom and had boas. So again, we have a non-Jewish person whose lifestyle is not what you would want to say, hey, everybody, let's all become like Rahab. But again, it's mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. The next person mentioned in Jesus' genealogy, which is probably... The most well-known of the four, even though Ruth is probably well-known because she's got a whole book written after her, is Bathsheba. But for those who don't know, King David was meant to be at war. He wasn't. He's looking out of his window. He looks over at the people in the army, looks into the house, sees this beautiful woman and says, Hmm, she's pretty nice. Get her to come over and see me. David sleeps with Bathsheba, finds out that Bathsheba's pregnant, tries to get her husband to come back from war, he goes, I can't, you know, see my wife because everybody else is fighting and that's not really fair. So David kills, takes Bathsheba as his wife, and the firstborn son ends up dying. But then he has another son called Solomon, and Solomon becomes king in the line of the Jewish people. So again, not someone you really would be saying, hey, ladies, if you want someone to follow, what happens to Bathsheba is the way to go. But it's in genealogy of family line of jesus i found that really interesting these last couple of weeks when i was looking at it the fact that the only four women that are mentioned in the family line of jesus that's such a nice easier word the family line of jesus uh, none of them are women that the bit the main bits that we know about their lives is anything to be praised Is anything to be lifted up and said, hey, look at this person. But actually it is. Because so often we can look at someone's story and we remember the juicy bits. We remember the bits that are easy for us to remember. We remember the bits that we go, wow, did you know that this is what happened to Bathsheba? Wow, do you know that this is what Tamar's story is about and this is what Rahab did? But all of them actually were used to benefit God's kingdom not just because of their sons but because of their lives that they lived outsiders people that lived a life that actually was not you know the most highly regarded in anybody's society let alone the Jewish society and that is because of this simple fact and I already gave it away that God actually redeems that God actually takes the mess of our lives and doesn't say, oh, well, you've mucked up, you're left there, bad luck. You're always going to be known as that person. He actually takes us and says, you know what? When you actually come to me, I am a God who redeems. The reason that Jesus came to earth was to actually redeem, to actually say this world is not the way that it's meant to be. This is not the way that I designed it. These people are not living the life in full that I want them to live. What can I do about it? I will come and redeem them. So they don't have to pay the penalty. I will come and pay the penalty so they can be redeemed. Chris started with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But John 17 actually says, and I'm going to read it because I want to get it correct and not just the tenure version of it. So this is what John 3.17 says. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. So often when people think about Christianity or think about God, they think of God as a judgmental God. They think of a God who comes and says, you're doing the wrong thing. Why are you doing the wrong thing? Oh, no. I might smite you if you keep on doing the wrong thing. Alcohol, it. actually, is not like that. And Jesus coming was a demonstration. I is not the God I am. I am the God that wants to come close. I am the God that wants to come and say, "Hey, the life you are living is not the life you were intended to live. Let me come. Let me be. Let me enter and let me redeem the situation that is not great." He doesn't come and say, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. He comes and says, you're not in a great place. Let me not leave you there. Let me actually come and redeem your story. Let me actually come and turn what, you know, other people or what Satan or whoever you want to call it meant for evil, let me actually make it for good. Romans eight twenty eight says, for God works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. It doesn't mean everything turns out well. But it means when things are stuffed, and we know when things are stuffed, he doesn't come and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. That's not really that bad. He comes and says, yep, it's stuffed. But I'm a God who redeems. I'm a God that takes the stuff and says, hey, come to me. Let me give you the life that you're meant to have and let me redeem the stuffed upness of your life. And there is nobody in this room that doesn't have stuffed up stuff in their life. And so at this Christmas, what I really want you all to remember is that God is a God who redeems. And whether that is he redeems stuff that happened 10 years ago or whether he he redeems stuff that happened this morning, he's still the same God and that's what he wants to do. He wants to take our names and when our story is written, we may be written about the stuff up. But that's not the end of the story. The stuff up is an interesting point. But the bigger point is God intervened and God redeemed and God turned it for good. Because that's the kind of God that he is. He actually came to earth to redeem the world. But he actually came to earth to redeem me. He came to the earth to redeem you. He came to take all that stuff that we either pretend doesn't exist... Or we justify and say, oh, it's not that bad. He actually comes and says, yeah, it is bad. Like, it's not great. What's happening or what happened or what will happen isn't fantastic, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to make you feel really guilty. I'm going to come and say, let me come and take it. Let me come and change it. Let me come and redeem all the stuff up that we've made because that's the kind of God that he is. And that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died on the cross was to actually redeem, not to make us perfect, not so that our life is always the way he wants it to be, but when the stuff-up happens, we can say, we have hope, we have trust, and we have forgiveness that's found in one that's not based on me, but based all on him. That's based on all that he did. And that's what I was reminded this when I started reading Matthew chapter 1 and seeing these women and going, Ah, God actually is celebrating the fact that they are part of Jesus' family line. He's not hiding away. He's actually saying, "Hey, yeah, these are some of the people." And he could have said, it. "There's more." I could have looked at more people in this list and fi- found their stuffs up too, because it's not that the others didn't stuff up. These were just the women and the obvious ones that I saw. But if they're there to actually go, not to say, "Ha ha! Look at these people that stuffed up. Look at these people that God have used." Sometimes because of their stuff ups but all not based on their stuff, but based on who God is and what his plans and purposes are. And it actually means that when we go into the world, that is the hope that we can bring them. Wherever you are, no matter what life you're living, no matter what is going on, our God is not here to say, ha, 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 you're an evil person and you're sinning and how bad, but he comes to say, I want to redeem you. I want to actually bring you from death into life. I want to actually give you abundant life. And that doesn't happen by doing the right thing. That happens by surrendering to the Saviour that does the redeeming. Because we cannot redeem ourselves. That's why Jesus had to come. If we could redeem ourselves, Jesus would never have to come. Because we can't that he did. And I don't know about you, but that's something that we want to se- I want to remember and celebrate, not just today, but every day. And that's what I want to extend to people, not just today, but every day, to extend and remind them of the hope and the grace and the forgiveness that comes from the loving Father that we today remember came to earth. And he came to earth to redeem everybody, not just us. So let me pray. God, I want to thank you that you are a God that redeems. I want to thank you, God, that you take the good and the bad of our lives, God, and you take it all and you say, let it, give it to me. And when we give it to you, God, that you actually make something beautiful out of it, God. And so we want to do that afresh today, God. We want to give you our lives and say, do what you want, God. Redeem what needs to be redeemed so that we can live a life um, of abundance, that we can live the life that you came for, God. You came to redeem us. You came so that we could live a life that actually is full of joy and full of hope and full of grace and full of mercy, God. So thank you. And help us to be people that don't just celebrate that in our own lives, God, but extend that to others, God. There will be people that can get alongside people and say, there is hope in your situation. There is grace and there is mercy and there is redemption. This is not the end of your story. It doesn't have to end like this. This this can just be a part of it. This doesn't have to be all of it. So help us to be people who bring your redemption to all that we meet. I mean